there's a sense in which I think just singing that song is probably uh, all we need to do tonight. Just meditate on that song. And that's basically what I got to say. <laughs> um, beautiful, beautiful words. I hope as we were singing it, it really made an impact as you thought about that awesome work of Christ for sinners and his love for his people. I know I'm competing with some noise behind me, so <clears throat> there are a couple of seats up here if you want to move forward, uh, but I'll try to do my best to be loud. I'll be taking sips of water to uh, help my voice after enjoying the afternoon playing sports with you guys. Which, by the way, thank you for letting me do that. It's, uh, I find it really enjoyable. It's nice when young people are willing to let some old guys, that's me and my, my cousin over there, we're the old guys, uh, to participate. We really enjoy it, so thank you for, for letting us share in that with you all. Let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll begin. Heavenly Father, as we have been considering these great gospel truths, we pray that you would now even press upon our hearts the things that we sang to you, sang to one another. We pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted up in majesty and in glory, that we would see his beauty, that every eye would be turned to him, and that we would worship we would adore that he would become the pearl of great price, that priceless treasure to all of us here. Please, do what you said you would do in magnifying Jesus in this place tonight. Help me to do that. Again, help me to be accurate. Help me to speak things that are helpful for these young people and will build them up in their faith and that would confirm them in the ways that they are right in their thinking, and, and as you have saved many of them, we pray that you would also do that work of salvation that we long to see in all those who are still outside of Christ. Lord, bring them in tonight. We ask that you would do this for the honor of Christ. Amen. So we've been considering our saying that close doesn't count when it comes to your never-dying soul, when it comes to eternal life. Close only is good enough in what? Horseshoes and hand grenades, but not heaven. Not heaven. We've seen from Matthew chapter 7 this critical need for accuracy. That it's not up to our decision. It's not up to what we think might just work out. But Jesus makes it very clear that there is a narrow gate, that there is a narrow way that leads to eternal life. Few, few find it. There is a wide gate. There is a broad way. And many Many are on that way. And the end of that way is destruction. So we've seen that critical need. We've seen the need for accuracy. We've, need, we've seen the need for urgency. Because many are going down that track. We've also seen that reality of a shocking surprise that some will have on the last day. He says in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare 
to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And so with that pressure upon us, with that sense of the need that we have to be accurate in our understanding then, so that we are not shocked, that we're not caught off guard, that we're not thinking we're on the the narrow way when really we're on the broad way, or to think that we're going to get to that point when we stand in judgment before God and Jesus looks at you in the eye and says, no, you're greatly mistaken. You had it all wrong. With that urgency, we've been looking at what are these essentials, these four essentials of the Christian life, of saving faith, of understanding that we have to have, that when we look at these four things and we see them, we grasp them, we can say, yes, I believe. These are true about me. We would rejoice and say, bless God, I'm a Christian. And if they're not true, if it doesn't match up in your life, you see gaps, you see error, well, you don't sit there and say, oh, woe is me. You know what you have to do. You know what to do about it. Right? That's, our, that's been our plan. That's been the focus of how we're taking these these essentials. And we come after seeing the first essential of someone who has considered this reality of their personal problem of sin as defined by the scriptures. We come now in the second place to a biblical understanding of God's plan of salvation. A biblical understanding of God's plan of salvation. A real Christian is someone who's considered God's one remedy for this problem of human sin. And specifically, my problem of my own personal sin. Now, a lot of people like to make their own way of salvation. But again, that's just their own opinion. At the end of the day, all that matters is God's opinion, right? His, what His Word says. And we have that clearly in the Bible. So, what about salvation do we need to grasp? What is it that's so important for us to know? Well, first of all, the first part of this essential is that salvation, God's plan of salvation, is 100% God's work. 100% God's work. We understand, as biblical Christians... That God has reached out to us in salvation. And it is not we who have reached out to God for salvation. We turn to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 John 4 and verse 10. John writes, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. This is an amazing difference between Christianity and the other religions of the world. I don't know if you have studied any other religions. But in this way, Christianity is very unique. We already saw that uh, Christianity, as we said, is the sinner's religion. And again, when we come to this point here, that God's plan of salvation is 100% God's work, no other religion has God doing the work of saving man. All other religions, at least the ones that I've studied, that I've come across in my lifetime, all have something that man does, that a woman has to do in order to be saved, in order to reach nirvana, or in order to be right with Allah. Whoever it is, whatever their way is of religion, that there is something that you must do in order to achieve 
even atheists, right? Even atheists have a system of what they call paying it forward. Have you ever heard that? Pay, pay it forward. What does that mean? Anybody know? You can, you can answer. Let's see. Somebody has a study. Yes, why? I guess it's a little bit like Exactly. Yeah, so they will admit that there's a God, but they often cite the universe. It's interesting, right? There's some energy out there, this positive vibe, positive energy. And so when you do something good, like when there's trash on the ground and at soccer practice you're running by and you see it, the coach didn't tell you, you just reached out and grabbed it and you throw it in there. Woohoo! Man, the universe is like throbbing with joy over you. Because look what you did. Nah, I might be overstating it. But that's essentially what they said. Alright? That there's some kind of energy. I mean, ah, oh, Yoda's like sitting there super happy. <laughs> feeling it, right? The force, right? There's some energy here and somehow by doing this good deed. Now again, what defines good? Well, how can they say? But some societal agreement around what is good? What is the norm of good? And wow, you just sent a ripple of joy and good things and you're paying it forward. Why? What's going to happen? It'll come back, right? Somehow, when that ripple reaches the edge of wherever and it starts to ricochet back or boomerang back, it'll hit you and something good will happen to you, man. Like, whoa, dude. It's going to be so awesome. All right? Now, I'm being a little silly here, but hey, this is what it's about. Do good to get good is the way of reaching some higher plateau or having good come your way. Yeah, so whenever I die, whatever that is, somehow it'll just all kind of work out. Okay, but I have to do something. You see, that's the point. Everybody's system, whatever they believe in, that has them coming out on top, whether they call themselves religious or not, has to do with performing something to secure it. But not so when it comes to the true saving religion, when it comes to God Almighty as he's revealed himself to us in his Son and as we have in the Word of God. Because of our sinful and rebellious nature, that we already consider. We don't search or even desire for God. Our hearts, as we saw, are natively at enmity with God. Our minds are enmity with God, Romans 8 tells us. We are on opposite sides of the battle line by birth. This is who we are. Again, as we, we already saw that in the last message. We don't desire for God. Any desire for God is a result of His working in us. We love, as we just sang, because He first loved us. Salvation isn't 60-40, 60% God, 40% me. It's not even 90% Him and 10% and me. Like, I'll give Him 90 but, you know, I got 10, right? I'm good. No, no. Salvation is not initiated by my desire for it or just even feeling like I need it. There's nothing. There's zero. Zilch, nada. Nathan, Jack, whatever it is. It's, there's nothing. Nothing that we bring. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. And verses 6 to 8. Are y'all warm enough? Yes. No? All right. Just keep praying that my voice holds up. <laughs> All right. Romans chapter 5. Someone else, nice, loud, nice and loud, read verses 6 to 8 for me, please. Who's that? Owen? Go ahead. Nice and loud. 
Yes, we, while, when we were still without strength, he died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his love that while we were still sinners, we were not lovers of God, we were not on his side, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Christ died for us. Now, there is a way of thinking out there um, called Arminianism, okay? And this man, Jacobus Arminius, he was alive, would have been after Martin Luther, trying to think, was, but it's around the time of the Reformation, okay? And his thing was this, that salvation is not 100% God-initiated, but I'll, I'll break it down in my words, it's more like 50-50, okay? And so the thought is here is man is crying out to God, and God has all of this plan of salvation, all this work that then is given because man is crying out for that, okay? And basically that's just not true, okay? And I'm going to show you that, right? We'll go to Ephesians chapter 2. We've been saying this already, but I want to specifically deal with this issue because, as I said before, it's not 50-50, it's not 60-40, it's, it's not 90-10, it's, it's, it's 100% God, okay? Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll read verses 1 to 9. It's a bit longer, so I'll read it. Paul, writing to the Ephesian Christians, says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. He made alive, who were dead. Right? You were dead. In which you once walked those trespasses which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us, he made us, sit together in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 90 10? 70 30? 99% and 1%? I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? 100% God's work. We're dead in trespasses and sin, the apostle says. Think about this now. I often use this analogy, so if you've heard it already, you know it's coming. Hang it. If I were to go outside, this time of year, you got the chipmunks running back and forth, and the squirrels going back and forth across the road. Sadly, or not so sadly, depending on how some of them don't mean now sometimes you notice that they just get run over a few times and you almost don't even realize it it's like there's a small chipmunk rug on this little patch of the road I would say that chipmunk is pretty much dead right if I were to go out there, and because of a germaphobe, I took my plastic gloves and I would peel it back, and I were to bring 
one of those dead chipmunks in here. Is there anything that dead chipmunk could do to even ask him to help him? No, it's dead, right? But could it feel like needed to become alive again? What if it like, really wanted to? See the point, it's a bit stupid, but you get it. A dead chipmunk can't ask or feel like it needs life. Get it? Very, very important point. We're going to build on this, so it's important that you get this. Dead sinners do not somehow have spiritual life in them. Okay? They're completely dead. Unless God does that work, as Paul explains here in Ephesians. Nothing happens. We remain like that chipmunk. Something must happen to us. You get that? Very critical. Let's bend over the nail. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Because it's not even that God kind of lights the fire. You know, like we crank this baby up. You heard it? Right? The, saw the flame go. It's not even like what God did was light the pilot light of your life and then you got it going and the rest is now on you. Philippians helps us understand, Philippians chapter 1, that no, no, it's all from start to finish, 100% God's work. Paul writes to the Philippian believers, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, you Philippian believers, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all, uh, all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you Right? So he started it. Let's see. Is it up to us now to get it over the finish line? He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, friends, salvation is 100% of the Lord. It is start to finish God's work. Nothing that we bring to the table procures our salvation. Critical that we get this. Next point. God's plan of salvation is found in Christ alone. It's not an ideology or a set of rules that save us. Not following a process or performing rituals. No, salvation is found in a person. Salvation is found in the God-man, Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we already quoted it today. Speaking, the angel speaking said, and she, Mary, will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he, he will save his people from their sin. John chapter 14, verse 6. Let's turn there. John chapter 14, verse 6. Volunteer to read. Come on, I know it's hard. You've worked hard. You've played hard. Ryle, nice and loud. John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else to the Father except through me. Jesus the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Let's turn there. Come on, let's go, let's go. <laughs> Peter preaching Jesus to these Jews. Judah, nice and loud. What does he say? Right, no other name. There's salvation and there's no salvation in any other and there's no other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. I mean, that's, that's, you say, that's obvious. Yes. Praise God, it's obvious. It is that simple. And yet, so many people miss it. Salvation is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in a person. Christ alone is our salvation. And that's why we need to know this person. That's why you need to know this person. You don't just need to know about him. You don't need to just know facts about him. You don't need to be able to recount stories about him. You need to know him. It's not enough to just have parents who know about him. It's not enough to go to a church that preaches about him. It's not enough to go hang out with friends at a retreat and hear about him and have a pastor get all excited about him. That's not enough. You need to know him. 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 I need to know him. The man Christ Jesus, the person. It's not enough to be close. You've got to know the man, Christ Jesus. Close doesn't count. You actually have to know him. Some of you are really good about reciting Bible verses from memory, knowing the catechism. You're able to, to, to sing hymns beautifully. I loved hearing the harmony as you all sang that last hymn. And to let the, the praises of God fill this room. But do you know Him? If people on the last day will say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in Your name and we prophesied in Your name, could we say, Lord, Lord, I was at the retreat and I sang hymns in Your name. I was singing four-part harmony in Your name. You get the point? That's not it. Those are good things. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Let's, let's sing. Let's praise His name. But let's do it from a heart that knows the Savior. Do you know Jesus? What do you know about Him? Do you know Him? Is He real to you? Have you come to know Him personally? Romans 8 verse 1, well-known verse. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation. In other words, there is, positively, salvation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who are in Jesus. Not who like, yeah, I know Jesus, he's over there. Yeah, 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 I know just, yeah, 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 Matthew uh, chapter, yeah, somewhere on the mount, yeah. Christmas, I'm in. Easter, got it. A lot of people know about that. Do you know him? A biblical Christian is someone who has received salvation through Jesus Christ. The man, Jesus Christ, received salvation through him alone. He is the only Savior of sinners, the Son of God the Lord Jesus Christ. So salvation is 100% God's work. Salvation is found in one person. The salvation, thirdly, is cross-centered. It's cross-centered. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you, Corinthians, when I was among you, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So this work of Jesus on the cross was so central to Paul's mission in preaching the gospel and is so central in Christ's work of saving His people that Paul uses it to summarize the whole of his ministry in Corinth. Every bit of it. He could say, 
I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, why? Why would Paul use the crucifixion of Christ to summarize his ministry? Well, because God's plan of salvation for sinners is centered around this one event, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. How is it that God put his plan of salvation into action? How is it that his son, Jesus Christ, can accomplish salvation for dead sinners? Why can't God just wave his magic wand and make all the sin just disappear? You ever thought that? I used to think that as a kid. I'm like, why why couldn't he just go, okay, done. Make it all just go away. Why can't he just decide not to punish sin and just let everybody get into heaven? That's, That's where my brain went when I was younger. Well, why is that? Well, because of crimes against God's law. And those crimes, that's our sin, it absolutely must be punished. Why? Justice requires it. Justice requires it. God is a God of justice. And that whole universe that he has created, including you and me, reflect that everything runs on law and order. Right now, every one of you is affected by the law of gravity. Right? Thankfully. (laughs) There's also some laws about mass and particles and bless God that our bodies don't just go and explode, but keep intact. Okay? God's universe reflects his order, his laws. God is a God of order. He's a God of righteous laws. And you know this. You guys study physics, chemistry, math, biology. You see this. And just as much as God is a God of mercy, he's a God of love. He's a God of kindness. So he is also a God who is just, a God who is perfect, a God who is holy, right? And that means that his laws cannot just simply be ignored. They can't just simply be overturned, the waving of a basketball. No more can his laws be overturned than y'all can ignore the law of gravity when you try to dunk on a 10-foot hoop. You can't ignore it. You might, oh, I'm just going to ignore it. Okay. Doesn't work, does it? Just as much as that cannot be ignored, it can't just disappear. And so it is that we cannot, God does not simply dismiss his justice. He is perfect in his justice. He is perfect in his love. And what do those crimes against God deserve? Because he's a God of justice, we know that sin requires death. Genesis 2, what did he say to Adam in the garden? The day you eat of that tree, the fruit of that tree, you shall surely die. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death. So it's absolutely required that sin be paid for. But how then can God maintain his holiness and perfection and justice and still make a way of salvation for rebellious sinners? How does it work? How, how, what formula? How does it, how does it happen? The answer? The cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, the cross of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus, the sinless Son of God, took the place of hell-bound sinners. On the cross, Jesus paid their penalty of sin. On the cross, Jesus became The curse. He became the curse for them. On the cross, Jesus accomplished deliverance from the power of sin. And on the cross, the Father caused all hell to break loose on his Son, Jesus. Because it was the only way 
that wicked, sinful, rebellious, law-breaking sinners could be justified, could have their crimes wiped from their record, and he could bring them into heaven. That is why salvation is cross-centered. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, a cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm just going to recite it. Don't worry about turning. For he made him, for God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He was perfect without sin. He made him to be sin for us. For us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Can you imagine this? Why does God want us? I don't know. But He sent His Son so that rebel sinners, not not those who were calling out for Him, no, it's 100% God's work, dead in trespasses and sin, on enemy lines, And he died for them. He did it for them. Why? So that they could be reconciled to him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ took the place of condemned sinners, rightly requiring the punishment of sin. And he lovingly, willingly, and completely satisfied all that just punishment that my sins deserve. And if you're a believer, that your sins deserve. Took them all. That is why God's plan of salvation is cross-centered. That is why Paul summarized the whole of his ministry there in Corinth by saying he was proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross is at the heart of God's plan of salvation. Now, it doesn't mean things like the resurrection from the dead are not important. Jesus rising from the dead, if, if Christ has not risen, then we are still dead in our sins. But it was all centered around the cross. It's the highlight of his atoning work for sinners. Fourthly, we've seen that salvation is 100% God's work, that it's found in one person, Christ alone, that it is cross-centered, but also we see now... And this is glorious. This is offered. Salvation is offered to everyone. To everyone. So great is this power of Christ's work on the cross that it can be offered even to the worst of sinners. There are no prerequisites or minimum requirements. It is offered to all without discrimination. Salvation is for sinners. God's work of salvation, let me say it again, is for sinners. We just saw in the last message how wicked our personal problem of sin is, right? How horrible that is. But here's the good news. Salvation is for sinners. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will by no means Cast him out. First John 1 John 1.9, we read it earlier. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. All of it. How bad? That too. How often? Yeah, that too. All unrighteousness. And this means... There is hope for everyone. Every single one of you in this room has hope because of what Jesus has done. You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, they won't perish. 
You're not going to hell. We'll have eternal, everlasting life. When God says he has come to save sinners, he means any kind of sinner. Any kind of sinner. And that's why a Christian has to face up to this reality of sin. If no sin, then why salvation? Who needs it? Is it only for those who are the weak and the depressed? You know, sometimes they talk, people talk about religion. Oh, it's good for you. You know, I feel so bad for you. You need religion. I don't need it. I'm so strong and healthy and my life is so wonderful. No, it's not, it's not how it is. When you see the reality of your sin, everyone is, is on equal footing. We're all condemned sinners. No matter how great your life is or how Instagram worthy your life is or not. We are all condemned sinners. We're all on that equal plane. It's because we all fell, every one of us, into sin in Adam. And that we have all personally sinned as we saw. And that all our natures are sinful. And we are by nature enemies of God. That we all need God's salvation. And this is indeed the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul writing to Timothy says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came in, let's finish it for me, what is it? Came into the world to what? Save sinners. That's it. He came for this purpose, to save sinners. And Peter even preaching in Acts, actually no, this is Paul preaching in Acts. He said, He commands all men everywhere to repent. He's calling to all men everywhere. Hello, it's going out. Everyone, come to Jesus. Everyone, believe in him. See his work. You don't bring anything. It's all of his, his work. 100% his work. It's all in Christ Jesus. He did it on the cross, taking all of the punishment that your sins deserve. And he says, come, come, come. Why wait? Um, what? what? What are you waiting for? Look to him and live. Believe in him. He did it all. But I don't know if I know enough yet. Have you known what we've talked about here just today? Believe. Look to Jesus. Do you know you're a sinner? Yeah, but how do I know if I'm doing that? or If you feel it, God's doing it. Don't worry about it. He's saying, come. He did it. He did it for you. There are many of you here who know he's done it for you. What is everyone else waiting for? See, that's why it's so important. It's God's work 100%. You don't have to do anything. You you don't have to feel bad enough. If I feel bad enough, I don't know if I feel bad enough about my sins. Um, Pastor, how bad should I feel? You don't need to feel a certain level of badness. You just need to believe. Nowhere in the Bible says you have to feel X amount of pain in your conscience to be ready to come to Christ. That would be a work, wouldn't it? Don't wait. It's not about feeling bad enough. You say, well, I don't know if I fully understand my sin. You talked about you know, needing to understand sin. You're right, you, but... Are you a sinner? Do you know that much that you're a sinner? Jesus says, come. He says, come. Well, but I, I really, I don't, I don't really know the Bible that well. It's okay. You need to know Jesus. And he says, come. He says, come. Well, you don't understand. Um, I've done some bad things. You don't, you, don't, you don't know what I've been looking at online. 
And uh, yeah, I don't, it's not for me. I don't think God could ever accept me. He says, come. Porn addicts need to be saved. Drug addicts need to be saved. Maybe there's someone here who thinks that they've, they've sinned in such a way that God won't accept you. No, He will accept you. He said it. In fact, He calls you. He says, come to me. not my work. I'm trusting in Him. And you know what? There are a lot of things that you may not know are going to come up in your life. Is God able to handle them for you? He's strong enough? Look to Jesus. Please, I beg of you. Here is salvation. Full and free. Stop working on trying to make yourself good enough. Stop trying to fill that void in your life with good works, with universe, positive energy. It's only going to end up in everlasting destruction. But isn't this the glorious gospel? Salvation full and free. Eternal life. The joy of a clear conscience of knowing that you are right with God. And he is taking you to glory. That all your sins, past, present, and even future. Yes, God knows the future. Christ has wiped them all away with his blood. What will it be? Is this great plan of salvation not good enough? Is there something left undone? Am I missing something? No. The banquet has been prepared. He sends out his invitation. Come. Come, sinners. Weak, weary, proud, arrogant. Come. Think you're great? You need to be saved. Feel weak? Why would God even want me? I'm with you. I don't know. But he says, come. And what's going to keep us from coming? Everything is in Christ. Everything has been done. This, dear friends, is what we need for salvation. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Close doesn't count. It is Christ and Christ alone. It is God's work. 
It is the cross. That is the narrow gate. And that is the narrow way. Come to him tonight, I plead with you. Yes, I'm talking to you. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, please give us your Holy Spirit. Work in all of us. Work in those here who are doubting, who are feeling weak, who are feeling unworthy, who are feeling numb and don't care. Lord, come. Come and call sinners to yourself. We pray that tonight many, many would come to believe in you. They would come to find that that salvation that you have offered in Jesus Christ is theirs. Oh Lord, let none, none leave this room without believing in Jesus for their salvation, knowing that he has done it all and that he will pardon, you will pardon them of all of their sins if they would but trust in Christ. Please do this work by the power of your spirit. Amen.